Welcome to the Supreme Court of Virginia podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Ben Glass Law and Virginia Appellate Attorney Steve Emmert. Listening to oral arguments from the Supreme Court of Virginia is one of the best ways to stay abreast of both substantive and procedural law. And today's smart lawyers know that any case, even if it is outside their practice area, can offer a learning opportunity. So, listen, enjoy, subscribe, and leave us feedback. Yes, uh, with the uh, waiver by yes. uh, the appellant, uh, you have a full 15 minutes. You can start right yes. now. Yes, sir. What we're dealing with in this case is a subrogation interest or an alleged subrogation interest on the part of the area insurance exchange against the tenant in a condominium association. And the, the starting point for the, the appellant's position is that 38.2-2207 gives them a right of subrogation, uh, that's not accurate. 38.2-207 gives an insurance carrier a right to subrogation if language of that nature appears in the insurance contract at the outset. And in this instance, whether it was by design or otherwise, the policy is not included um, as, as part of the appendix. And the, the starting point for us, therefore, is does the condominium association in the first place have any right to sue the tenant under the facts of this case? And the, I guess that's re- really a two-part issue. One is, is there a cause of action for the condominium association for Erie uh, against, in, in this instance, ALBA? And the second prong would be, as a policy, from a policy standpoint, should there be such a cause of action under facts similar to this case? There have been a number of jurisdictions that have addressed this from the standpoint of um, really three different views. The first view is a minority view, and it really follows the common law, which gives the insurance carrier a right to subrogation unless the contract itself expunges that right. And again, that's a minority view. The sort of the movement in in general for jurisdictions throughout the country, as far as our research has disclosed, and and as as the court, the Supreme Court for Virginia has pointed out in the Monterey Monterey case, the movement has been to eliminate the right to subrogation against the tenant um, for, for policy reasons, unless there is language specifically in the, in, in the contracts that gives that right to the insurance carrier. In, in this instance, um, we're, again, we're dealing with Virginia law, and Virginia law, the closest case we've been able to find is the Monterey case, and that Monterey case is, is cited in our brief, the it's 216 Virginia 843, and while the case is, a look, is somewhat different than what we're dealing with here, I say somewhat different because the Monterey case in, involved a, 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 it's, it, it's a hotel of sorts, but it's a hotel that also had apartments that they leased, and they leased an apartment to, to um, the individuals in the, at the hotel, and that lease issue involved whether 
the insurance company could subrogate for some fire damage that was allegedly caused by the negligence of the tenant. And the case itself turned on some language to the effect that there was, what did the provisions in the contract mean? But the Supreme Court, when analyzing that, took the position that you have to look at the reasonable intent of the parties in contracting. And you have to look at the reasonable expectations. What were their interests and what were their expectations with respect to the arrangement? The only distinction between that case and what we're dealing with here, and I bring this to point because it would appear from the Monterey case that Virginia law seems to be following that reasonable expectations and the interests of the parties in how they're going to address whether a right of subrogation exists. And if that's, in fact, the law in Virginia, then the only distinction between the Monterey case and the case we're dealing with here is the Monterey case involved a direct contract between the owner of the hotel and the individuals. And here we're dealing with a condominium association and the condo, the unit owner, who then leases to Ms. Alba and the documents that are exchanged among those three entities. And it really has nothing to do with whether subrogation is permitted as much as is there a cause of action by the condominium association against Ms. Alba. In this instance, there's a clear delineation, a clear trail of documents from the condominium association to the unit owner that talks about the fact that this unit is subject to a lease or could be subject to a lease. The only limitation is they want it to be longer than six months. And there are other provisions. Justice Kelsey, if I may interrupt you for a second. Is there anything in the lease between the unit owner and the tenant that precludes the unit owner from holding the tenant liable for negligently damaging the unit, fire or otherwise? Would you hire an appellate lawyer to handle your jury trial? Of course not. Trying cases requires a different focus, a different way of speaking, even a different way of thinking from handling appeals. So why would you ask a trial lawyer to handle your appeal? When it comes time to appear in an appellate court, trust a lawyer who specializes in appeals only. Steve Emmert limits his practice to appeals. Other lawyers consult him when they face tough problems in the appellate maze. Focus on what you do best. Call Steve Emmert at 757-965-5021 direct to find out how he can help you. Again, that's Steve Emmert at 757-965-5021. I believe there is because within the lease itself, and if you give me just a second, I will find the language for you. Within the lease itself, it talks about what happens in the event of fire and casualty. And it discusses the fact that the landlord is going to repair the unit for fire or casualty. And the only remedy for the landlord, if there's a fire or casualty there, 
it gives the landlord the, the ability, he has a certain period of time during which to rebuild the unit, and the tenant has the option of pulling out of the lease or canceling the lease. But doesn't that presuppose the, the tenant, not the person that burns the place down? Yes, sir. The tenant may, may, may vacate the lease, but it also goes on to say that if, if, it's, if it's caused by negligence or, or intentional act of the tenant, the only remedy that the landlord has, meaning the owner of the unit, he, he may hold the tenant to the lease. And that's contained in paragraph, or, or I guess it's, it's page 72 of the appendix, paragraph 18, where it says fire and casualty. But in conjunction with that, the, the, the condo documents themselves, uh, Justice Kelsey, require that the that Erie or Erie required that the tenant provide or incorporate the condo documents, in this case the declarations, the articles, that they incorporate that as part of the lease, and it was in fact incorporated as part of the lease. And Erie obligated the landlord through its own documents with the with, with the unit owner, they obligated that landlord, in this case the, the unit owner, to give those documents to the tenant. And in the, in the declaration itself, it says you give them to the tenant, it becomes the tenant's obligation as well. They are bound by all of the restrictions in, in these documents. And it, we don't even care if you give it to them, they're still bound. But in this instance, the tenant, at, or, or excuse me, the landlord, as he was required to do by, the, by Erie, took those documents and addended them to the lease and required that the tenant, in this case Ms. Alba, initial every single page. So that on page 88 of the record, which, you know, unfortunately these pages in this lease have, have similar um, paragraphs as far as how they're being addressed, but this would be the Page 84, it's attached, it says Chimney Hill Condominium Association, Inc., Rules and Regulations. And when you go through that on page 88, there's a provision that says insurance. It says the association carries a master policy of insurance which covers damage to the building structures in the event of fire, vandalism, and windstorms, and carries a deductible. The deductible will be paid by the unit owner for whose unit the cause of claim of the claim originates, i.e., fire begins in a unit, hot tub, burst, etc. The master policy insurance does not cover upgrades, improvements, personal property, or the contents of any unit. It is advised that all owners purchase their own contents policy called on H called an HO6 plan to protect the interior of their units and personal property. And in other portions of the lease running to the tenant, the owner of the unit required that the tenant purchase that insurance that's referenced in on page 84. But where in the documents, either the condo documents or the lease, is the tenant made a an insured, an additional insured, and thus cutting off subrogation? Because the, the subrogation claim can only be cut off if the landlord has no right to sue the tenant for burning the place down. Judge Kelsey, or Justice Kelsey, I'm not sure that I would agree with that position as, as much as, um, what, I mean, there is case law in Virginia, and the case of, of 
Walker versus Vanderpool and its progeny, and that's 225 Virginia 266. And in, in that case, the, the position of the Supreme Court in Virginia has been when you have language in a, in a contract that requires that one party to purchase the insurance in the event of a loss, that that party becomes the insurer of the other, in, of the, of the other party's interest. And in the event they didn't purchase the insurance, they're responsible for all the damage. And when they do purchase the insurance, then the individual to whom the other, the other side of the contract is, is you know, the, the person who's not required to purchase the insurance no longer has any duty for the repairs. Now, those cases have been interpreted to exclude intentional acts, but it's not just the content of the, of the contract itself here. It's the overall intent of the parties who are in, involved in this scenario. That's why I mentioned earlier that there was a, there was a policy. You know, it, it's not only is there a cause of action, but should there be a cause of action? And in this instance, and I understand that I'm arguing against potentially on the, on the policy matters, potentially against the, the, the case law in Virginia that suggests we have to look at the reasonable or the interests and the reasonable expectations of the parties um, and, and going towards more of the per se approach, which is in this instance, we have a tenant who is leasing a condo unit in a in a large you know in a, in a in a building, and the expectation otherwise, if we if we don't rule this way, would be that the tenant would be obligated to purchase insurance, even though he's been told there's a policy, and he's been told this is what you have to buy, and the condo association appointed the la the landlord the unit owner to tell the tenant that, and the Landlord does what he's obligated to do under the uh, under the condo documents. The, the tenant signs it. The condo association says we're binding the tenant to our condo documents, and then the expectation would be that the tenant's supposed to read all of that and understand, or Ms. Alba was supposed to read all that, and then and then somehow reach the conclusion that she must purchase an insurance policy for the entire condominium unit. At, at who we we wouldn't even know the cost for that. But her, not just on her possessions like the lease requires, but she'd be required, required to purchase a policy to cover the multi-millions of dollars of potential damage to the entire building, including other areas where she's not when she's not occupying those areas. And in that instance, that's where the, the, the policy comes into play because she'd be obligating the tenant in every instance, if there, were, if there were tenants in all the condos, they'd have to buy the same exact policy the condo association has already told them we've got this policy. The leases are telling them this is the only insurance you have to buy. And somehow, with all of that representation being made to the tenant, the tenant's supposed to understand, oh, I must buy an insurance policy to cover the entire building in the event somehow I'm accused of negligence. I mean, quite frankly, shy of somebody torching a building, meaning taking a firebomb and throwing it into a building, there is very there's gonna be very few instances where a fire could not be alleged to have been caused by somebody's negligence, whether it's from not taking care of faulty wiring or because in this instance they're alleging that and, and the allegation is that there must have been a cigarette that wasn't put out properly and the wind was blowing that night and and somehow the cigarette which was on one end of the balcony had to have been blown to the wall. Even though there was a fire 
kit or a, a fireplace in the same location when the fire marshals were saying, hey, the most likely cause is this, this, this fireplace. So while there is the, the short circuit, so to speak, Judge Kel or Justice Kelsey, in terms of there's no signed document from the president of the condo association to Ms. Alba, and Ms. Alba is the president of the condo association, but the condo association, Erie, has designated somebody to enter into this agreement and told them these are the terms we want in your lease. And it's right on point with everything we've seen in Virginia law about once you, once you are required to obtain that insurance and you've obtained it, then the tenant no longer has any liability. I see that your own timer has told you your time is up. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize for that. <laughs> well, that's quite all right. Um, I, if I were in your shoes, I'd have something that would be telling me the time as well. It's time for the clerk to call the next case. Thank you for tuning in to the Supreme Court of Virginia podcast. My name is Ben Glass, and Steve Emmert and I provide these oral argument audios for free as a public service. If you're a fan of the podcast, I'd love to send you my book, Renegade Lawyer Marketing, absolutely free. Just visit www.benglassreferrals.com, and I'll be glad to ship it to you. This book has helped thousands of lawyers across the country improve their lives and their practices. Again, that's benglassreferrals.com. Thank you for listening, and enjoy these oral arguments from the Supreme Court of Virginia.